scripture passage today is Luke 2, verses 22 through 35. If you could flip there in your Bibles, there's one in the seat in front of you, um, and it will be on the screens. If you're new to the Bible, um, Luke is the third book in the New Testament. So Luke 2, 22 through 35. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. All right, um, is this on yet? Can you hear me? Maybe it's, it's coming on? There we go. Um, I want to start out by just sharing a, a story with you guys about one of the hardest days of my life. Um, so I had gone back in September out to rural Wisconsin, and I was on a prayer retreat. Um, I was feeling a little sick before I went, so, um, so I thought I'd go out there, and I'd rest up, and I'd get better while I'm out there. Um, but I didn't exactly start getting better. Um, at first, my hands started to itch and get a rash on them. And then uh, the same thing happened to my feet. It started to itch and I got a rash on them. And I thought, oh, no, that's not good. Then um, my sore throat went from being a sore throat to absolutely unbearable. I mean, like pain I've never felt before. Couldn't swallow without, like, tearing up. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I, I had no idea what was going on. I was just out there suffering. And I started to use my skills of logic that I've learned, and I thought, hand, foot, mouth. Oh, no. And that had actually been going around amongst our kids, and only kids are supposed to be able to get it, and somehow I ended up with it. And, and I don't know how they tolerate it. I don't know how they make it, because I could not believe how bad it hurts. So I'm out there. I'm going through that. I get a call from my mom, and she tells me, Ross, uh, your grandmother just, just passed away. And, um, and my grandmother is someone I've known for my whole life and probably one of, one of my closest friends I've ever had and the nicest lady I've ever met. And so I'm out there alone having to process through losing her. And my aunt calls me and says, Ross, do you want to come speak at her funeral? And, oh, I wanted to come talk about my grandmother. And I wanted to tell my 
unbelieving relatives about Jesus. And I bought plane tickets to go out there. But I couldn't talk. I couldn't swallow. I had this terrible infection that would destroy little children. And so I just had to stay put and suffer and be reminded that this is a very, very broken world sometimes. And um, it doesn't take long for any of us for something to come up in our lives that reminds us of how broken this world is. It doesn't take long until we're reminded that everything isn't the way it's supposed to be. And one question that comes up that we read in the Bible is, what, what is God going to do about all the brokenness in the world? That's what this message is going to be about. This Christmas message is about how God responds to the brokenness that we feel in the world. And so the message is titled, Christmas and the Curse. And it has three points. The three points are point number one is um, the curse that we all live under. Point two is the curse breaker has come. And point three is how the curse breaker triumphed. So let's start out with point one, talking about the curse that all of us live under. And if you turn your attention to verse 22, it says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So our text begins with Mary and Joseph, who had just had baby Jesus, bringing him to Jerusalem for what the Bible says are called purification rites. Maybe you were a little confused and were wondering, what, what are those? Purification rites are rituals that God's people had to do in the Old Testament from time to time. So we live in the New Testament now, the New Covenant. And what that and a covenant is, is an agreement between God and his people so that they can have a relationship with him. And there's certain rules and requirements in that relationship. And so this Old Covenant ritual is a rule that Mary and Joseph had to follow, and all Jewish people had to follow back then. And so Jesus was coming there as, um, in order to fulfill this ritual that the Bible commanded into. So why, why does this matter? Like, why would Luke even include this? Well, if you, if you think of the word purification, what do you purify? Something that's unclean. Something that's defiled. And if you look in the Old Testament, you'll find out that a ton of things that people do, ordinary things, actually end up making them unclean. Even having a baby would make you unclean. And what it meant to be unclean is you weren't welcomed into the presence of God until you became clean and you went through a ritual like this. And you might say, God, that's not fair. Why would, why would someone be unclean for having a baby? Well, when you became unclean, it wasn't saying you did something wrong. It's more of a reminder that there's something wrong with everything. God wanted his people to understand that the world is not the way it should be. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned, and that's what broke the world. Everything was right. People were living in relationship with God until that event happened and brought sin and suffering into the world. And God pronounced judgment and curse on the world. And that's why we suffer today like we do. And there were certain things that he was very specific about the curse would affect. One of those things was childbearing. I'm sure there's some women in here who could agree with me that 
having a baby is very painful. And what you'll find is that things that God says are um, associated with the curse will tend to make you unclean. So when Mary had a baby, just like all the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of other Jewish mothers who had babies, they would become unclean because their childbirth was a reminder that the world was broken, that we were under a curse, that things are not how they should be. The unbelievable amount of pain, the blood, the amount of time that it takes to bring a child into the world is telling us something, that the world is fallen. Unless any of us forget, I don't want us to forget this point before we go any further, is that each of us are responsible for the world being fallen. Every one of us bears responsibility. You say, wait a second, Adam and Eve are the ones who are responsible. They're the ones who ate the fruit. Yeah, but we sin every day like they did. And what that shows is that we're like them. And that's how we participate in their sin. We act in the same way they acted when they disobeyed God. So I want us to just understand that the world is broken, and we were born into a world that's broken, and we also share the responsibility for it. And I am responsible in part for the way that things are. The pain and suffering that there is, I bear responsibility for it. So I just want you to reflect, when is the last time that you felt the devastating effects of the curse? When is the last time that you were reminded the world is utterly broken? Maybe someone you know passed away. Maybe you lost a baby. Maybe you had a baby. Maybe you're dreading a relationship that's broken this Christmas season. I personally struggle to feel my guilt for things being the way that they are sometimes. But I can always feel the effects of the way things are. And I just want all of us here to just be reminded right now by the effects that we feel, that we bear some guilt and responsibility, and that we are in a world that is not the way that it is supposed to be. You're probably thinking to yourself, wow, Ross, nice Christmas sermon you're preaching there. Thought, thought this was supposed to be a happy time of year. And it is. It's, it's one of the happiest. But we're never going to be happy. We're never going to celebrate Christmas like we're supposed to until we understand what Jesus is coming to do. So let's move on to point number two. The curse breaker has come. What does Luke say next? As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two pigeons. So now we have some more Old Testament details. I'm going to get into more about what it means to consecrate a baby to the Lord in the podcast. So if you're interested in that, tune in later this week. Um, the two pigeons or the two doves that Mary and Joseph had to offer, usually a Jewish person would go to the temple and they'd offer a lamb in order to be purified after something like childbirth. But they could also offer the birds if they were especially poor family, which it seems like Mary and Joseph were. And so they come as 
a poor family to give this offering to the Lord. They're in their poverty, as we saw Jesus' birth, experiencing the effects of the fall. The purification rites that they have to go through are testifying to the fall. And so they come to the temple with this in the backdrop. This is what struck me as I was reading this text. They're coming to the temple in the midst of a very broken world that they are experiencing and that the different ceremonies that they're going through is testifying to. The word the Bible uses to describe this brokenness is curse. When I use the word curse, what I mean is the brokenness that is in the world, the separation between people and God, and the guilt and the responsibility that we share in making it that way. And then, at this point, the stage is set for something surprising to happen. Something that Mary and Joseph were not anticipating. What happens next? It says there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So there's this man named Simeon who Luke calls righteous and devout. And one of the things he did that made him righteous and devout is that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'm going to get into later about how important it is to wait and why that was a righteous thing for him to do. But I also want to talk about that word consolation. Like, what does that word even mean? Consolation is another word for comfort. It's another word for comfort, which is a very loaded term in the Bible. It's actually referring back to the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah sends the second half of his book talking about the Messiah who's going to come to his people who are in sin. Does anyone know the first two words in Isaiah 40? Exactly. Comfort. Comfort my people, says the Lord. So apparently this guy had read the prophet Isaiah, and he knew by the Holy Spirit that he was going to see this Messiah before he died. Which means he was waiting for this Messiah to come, to take away sin, and even to be the child who God would use to recreate the fallen world, to recreate this broken world that we live in. He was hoping for a day that things would be like they were again in the Garden of Eden, where there'd be no sin, no curse, no death. That's why it says that he, the Holy Spirit had told him that he would not die before he had seen this child. So when, when Jesus comes to the temple, we got to see that there's something so special here. Every single one of us, you, myself, as beautiful and innocent as we looked as children, were born under the curse. Every last one of us. We had guilt for our sin. We deserve wrath and judgment. And what Mary and Joseph and Jesus are bringing to the temple is a child who uniquely had never been touched by the curse. That's what Luke says earlier in the book, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, which means that he was not created like we were, and the curse was not affecting him. 
Jesus was the lone exception. I said that we all share in the guilt of our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. Jesus didn't. This little precious baby came to the temple guilt-free. You see, none of us, none of you could help anyone who's under the curse because you're under the curse. Jesus uniquely is the hope who can help people under the curse because it never touched him. So what what does Simeon do? He scoops this little child up into his arms and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, so you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. You see what happens? He sees this baby he's been waiting for all his life, and he says, I can die now. I'm a satisfied human being. I've seen the hope that will heal myself. I've seen the hope that will heal this world. I can die now. The signature effect of the curse is that we die. Right? That, that, that's right there. That's the testimony that if you wonder that the, if the world's under the curse, well, we're going to die. So that, that means we're under a curse. And he knows that there's a child there who is going to break the curse because God had promised it. And so he's not afraid to die because he knows that death won't have the last word. His suffering won't have the last word. He goes into more detail and says that this child is going to be a light for all the nations. It's going to be a light for the Gentiles. This is more language from the book of Isaiah. More promises from the book of Isaiah. And it actually says that after he said this, Mary and Joseph marveled. What's going on? What he's saying is that this little child who was completely untouched by the curse was not just going to be the savior of the Jewish people like Mary and Joseph were probably expecting. He was going to be the savior of the whole world. He's going to be the savior of people like me, people like you, anyone. It completely defied the expectations back then. And they were shocked to hear it. They were utterly shocked to hear that this child would be the one God would use to rescue the whole world. Now, um, Scott and Bethany, can I hold your little baby for a moment? Now, um, support the head, right? That's what you taught. So I just, just looking at this little child here, and he looks so, so beautiful and innocent. Like he's basically falling asleep in my arms. And he's a picture of what Jesus is like. His innocence, his apparent innocence is a picture of what Jesus is like. In case you ever wondered if your sins could be washed away, there is someone who came who's so pure and beautiful that he could do it. Now, this little child has a problem. As innocent as he looks, he's not. Scott and Bethany are soon going to learn that there's a sinful heart in this little one. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is 
he is as beautiful in his heart as a little baby looks. He's pure and perfect in his heart as this little child looks. That who it was going to take to save us. So Simeon was looking at when the tears streamed down his eyes when he finally held Jesus. He thought he could see with spiritual sight, this is the little child who is as pure within as we need him to be. Finally, the one who can break the curse because he's never, ever, ever been touched by it. Thank you. Thank you so much. We need a sacrifice that pure, that perfect, that holy, or we can never be forgiven. I want to move on to point three, how Jesus triumphs, how the curse breaker triumphs. I want to ask, what, what is it that this little child is going to do to defeat and destroy the curse? Verse 34 says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this, this child is destined to cause a rising and falling of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of the hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. As good of news it is that Jesus is coming, there's going to be some hard stuff in his life. And these Verses are a foretaste. They're an anticipation of what's coming to him. It says that he'll cause a rising and falling of many. It says that he'll be assigned spoken against. In other words, he's going to suffer rejection and pain. And he says to Mary, a sword is going to pierce your own heart also. And what these are, predictions of how Jesus is actually going to defeat the curse. How is he going to defeat the curse? He's going to bear the curse in our place. The one who doesn't deserve to die is going to die. The one who doesn't deserve to suffer is going to suffer. The reason he could take the curse upon himself was because he did not have it when he was born. So you ask, how does Jesus rescue those who are under the curse? How does he save those who are under the curse? He takes the place of those who are under the curse so that we can take his place of being free from it. He trades places with us. That's what happens on the cross. He's going to grow up one day, and after living perfectly his whole life, he's somehow going to be judged to death. What is that? That's him willingly taking our place. That's him willingly being our substitute. I asked earlier, what is God's answer to suffering in the world? What, what's his answer? His answer is that he would send his son to become a person like you and me, and that son would suffer more than anyone who ever lived so that one day we would never have to suffer again. That's the way he handles suffering. So many people say, how could you do this? If you're a good God, how could you let there be suffering in the world? That question misses Jesus. 
Jesus comes and suffers worse than anyone so that his people will never have to suffer again. So that they can have their sins forgiven and they can never have to suffer again. You might say, well, that sounds great, Ross. That sounds really nice. What about my suffering right now? I don't believe in, I believe in Jesus and I feel like things are not going very well. I feel like I'm hurting right now. And what struck me about this text as I was preparing for it is that a lot of ourselves, we find ourselves in the same place as Simeon. Expecting, waiting, hoping for Jesus to come. You see, in the book of Luke, what we find out is Jesus doesn't come and do everything all at once. There's two comings. He comes once to defeat sin and death, and then he comes again to remove all its effects forever. And so that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're looking forward to. That prophet Isaiah is referencing earlier when he's talking about the Messiah. This is one of the things he says that Messiah is going to do. Let's take a look at chapter 65 or 17 about Jesus. He says, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. When Jesus comes back, we get to be with him here in a new creation and we don't suffer anymore. Not only will you not remember your suffering, you won't have to go through it anymore and you won't even think about it anymore. No more back pain. No more broken relationships. No more empty seats at the dinner table. No more cancer. No more abuse. No more trauma. You see, that day is coming if you believe in Jesus. It's coming closer every single day. And we're supposed to expect it. One of the things that really struck me as I prepared for this message is that I don't look forward to this day as often as I should. I look forward to a lot of stuff. I look forward to times with friends and family. I look forward to our church and things we're doing with our church. I look forward to the NFL playoffs. I look forward to all kinds of stuff. But why don't I think about Jesus coming back? I want to challenge you Christians to make this part of your prayer life, part of what you think about on a daily basis. It really changes everything about the way you live if you're expecting Jesus to come back. It changes everything. The Bible talks about again and again and again how we're supposed to have a supernatural hope and peace and patience and suffering. How do you get there? How do you get to that point where you respond in a way that everyone around you is encouraged? That unbelievers want to come to you and be like, what is this hope that you have? How do you get to that point? You have a meditation, a thought life that centers on the fact that Jesus is coming to, to make all things new. Jesus is coming to take away the brokenness in this world and make it fresh. Friends, if we, if we really meditate on that, if we really think about that, it's going to change the way we respond to the hardship in our lives and the way we love other people. I just want to encourage you to join me in anticipating that day. We as Christians do not ignore suffering. We only admit that it's temporary and that Jesus is going to do away with it forever. And maybe, I don't know, maybe there's someone here, probably not, but maybe 
maybe there's someone here who just doesn't suffer that much, and you're just saying, well, Ross, my life is pretty good right now. And I would say to you, friend, I would encourage you to think about this day every day as well, lest you fall in love with the things of this world, lest you put the blessings and the gifts above the giver. I don't know exactly where everyone's at spiritually. Maybe maybe there's someone in here who, maybe more than one person, maybe a few people who have not fully surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and King yet, as Savior. I want to go back to something that Simeon said. This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. What do these words mean? Simply that there's no neutral response to Jesus. There's no such thing as a neutral response to Jesus. Either you believe in him with everything, receive him with everything, and he forgives you of your sin, and one day he'll cause you to rise from the dead, or you reject him. To say that I tolerate Jesus is another way of saying I reject Jesus. There isn't any kind of response where we like Jesus as a teacher, but not as our Savior, not as our Lord. There's only two responses to Jesus. Either he's everything or nothing. That's why Simeon said Jesus would be the great divider that would cause the rising of many and the falling of many. Because there's only two ways that you can respond to this Savior. And if you haven't responded to him as Savior and Lord yet, I just encourage you to do that with all my heart. Right now, we live in a world that's part blessing and part curse. Like there's blessings and good things that we enjoy in this world. And there's also hardships. And there's pain that we also experience side by side, those blessings. But after we die and after Jesus comes back and he judges us, there, there won't be any mix anymore. You'll either go to a place that's all curse and all pain, or all blessing, and all joy. And the only thing that makes a difference, the only person that makes a difference is how you respond to Jesus. And that's an offensive message for many people to hear, which is why they walk away from Jesus. And I just want to say that that's what it means to fall when Jesus says, He'll cause the falling of many. When that message is too offensive to receive, that's a fall. It's exposed that your heart is not ready for him yet. But friends, when we recognize that we are under the curse and that we do have guilt for our sin and that we do need someone who's pure and perfect, all of a sudden it makes sense. All of a sudden, Jesus makes sense. I'm not offended that Jesus died for my sins. I'm really glad that he did. Because I know the kind of person I am apart from him. And I pray that the Lord would bring you to that place as well. If you have any more questions about that, talk to me. Talk to any of our members. I want to just also ask... Finally, what does Christmas have to do with our suffering? Everything. 
everything. Christmas is about God's answer to human suffering. God sends a perfect child to bear our sins. God sends a perfect child to take the consequences and the guilt of our sins, and one day he's going to send that child back as a man to judge the earth, to make all things new, and to give a place for his people to be with him. Jesus has defeated the curse and will make all things new for those who trust in him. That's my main point today. Jesus has defeated the curse and will make all things new for those who trust in him. And we have every reason to trust him, every reason to rejoice in him, every reason to hope for him to come back. So may God do a work in our hearts this Christmas. May his first coming make us desperate for his second coming. And may any who haven't received him yet receive him. Please pray with me. Jesus will never comprehend the fullness of all that you have done. Lord, we ask that we would be moved to a new place of deeper worship as we have seen a glimpse of your glory just now. Everything you handle, every problem we have, you solve. Thank you for that, Jesus. So please help us to encounter you and enjoy you and praise you right now as we come to you. In your holy name, amen.